Well, the word submission has caused countless women to wince or grimace. And in many cases with good reason. Because of the way this issue of submission has been misunderstood or in some cases used to abuse their wives. What I want us to do today is to begin to look at what the Bible really says about submission. And I say begin because we're going to actually be looking at this for a couple of Sundays. As we come to this section in Ephesians, what we find is the issue of submission is not just wives with their husbands. It also applies to husbands with their wives. It applies to children with their parents. It applies to us who are employees with our employers. And as we look at what biblical submission is really supposed to be, I believe you'll find it's something to be cheered rather than feared. There are many times when I meet with a couple for premarital counseling, and as we're going through uh, the topics we're going to cover, when I say we're going to talk about the biblical roles of the husband and wife, and we're going to talk about this issue of submission within the context of that, uh, I have couples, in many cases the younger couples, who say, well, Pastor, we can just skip that section because we we don't need that old, outdated thing in our marriage. We don't have to worry about that. And when I say to them, I want you to understand what the Bible really says about this. And as we get to that session and we begin to walk through what biblical submission is designed to be, the way God designed it, what I found is 100% of the women say to me, I want that in my marriage. I want that in my home. And what I hope will happen today and in the weeks ahead is as we look at what God's word really says, each of us will say, I want that in my life. I want that in my home in my relationship at work, and in the context that God has designed this to be. So today what I want to do is invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to begin today by reading Ephesians five twenty-two through 24. It says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Now, men, before you start poking your wife and saying, Honey, listen up, the preacher has something really important to talk about today. I want you to look down at verse 25 for a moment. Because in the context, as God presents this part of his word to us, he says in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. There are two other places in the New Testament where this issue of biblical submission is brought up, 1 Peter chapter 3 and Colossians chapter 3. And what you find in both of those passages is what we find here in Ephesians 5, is that God, as he gives direction to the wives to be submissive, he also gives instructions to the husbands. He never talks about one without pairing it with the other, where he says, men, you are to love your wives, you are to honor your wives. One of the reasons biblical submission is so misunderstood and even misused is because we ignore the context, uh, which is a context of mutual love and respect in the relationship. I want you to notice that as you look at the verses right before what we're looking at today, we saw a few weeks ago that God talked to us as believers about being controlled by the Holy Spirit. You see, biblical submission is not about an out-of-control husband controlling his wife. It's about men and women being controlled by the Holy Spirit of God and and working within uh, God's design. As as we talk about context, I also want you to look at this slide. This is the actual Greek text from our passage today. And in Ephesians 5, 21 and 22, it begins by telling us in verse 21, that's our word, being subject. 
Now, what I want you to look at is it says, being subject to one another in the fear of Christ, the wives to their own husbands as to the Lord. Now, notice that in verse 22, you don't see the word submit, do you? Now, in your English text, it says to submit. And that's a proper translation because the controlling verb comes from verse 21. And what that means is you can't have verse 22 without verse 21. You see, men, it says we are to be subject to one another. This, this isn't a, a subject of isolation. So if, if you're the type of man who, who likes to point to your wife and say, Woman, don't do that. Uh, woman, <laughs> obey me because the Bible says to. I want you to notice that when you point, there are three fingers pointing back. And that's to remind you of Ephesians 5, 1 Peter 3, and Colossians 3. <laughs> All right? God doesn't isolate this subject of a wife's submission. Now... As I say that, some of the ladies may be here this morning saying, well, if my husband doesn't do his part, then I don't have to do mine, right? Well, let's talk about the context of 1 Peter 3. It says there in verses 1 through 2, Wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. See, just as I'm talking to the men this morning about not worrying so much about your wives' behavior, at the same level it says, ladies, you need to look at your own lives and not worry so much about your husband's behavior. See, the, the way the world defines this for us, I said we, we have a misunderstood what biblical submission is, and the way the world tells us where to operate is to think in terms of a line. And, and we're at one end of the line and our spouse is at the other. And the world says the way this game works is we, we meet in the middle, right? I'm going to do my 50% and you do your 50% and then everything's going to be okay. Now the problem is this is a losing game. Because what happens if you're the person who's doing your 50% and your spouse doesn't do theirs? And by the way, marriage is 100-100. It's not a 50-50. And so when you look at the relationship, this is what happens. We say, well, I'm doing what I'm supposed to, and they're not doing what they should, and therefore we have conflict. So the world says, okay, well, the way you work on this is maybe you give a little bit more, right? You go a little bit further, and maybe a little bit further. And at what point do you say, I've gone far enough, and the other person has to meet me? Or what we do is say, well, the next time, they have to come more over to my side, right? We're keeping account, we're keeping score, and, and so this is why this is a losing game. What we're looking at today, God gives us a different design. Think in terms of a triangle. And if you put God at the top of the triangle, we can still be in our, our particular places. But what God says to us is, it's not about you moving and meeting the other person in the middle. It's about you doing what I've called you to do. So if you're a husband saying, well, my wife needs to submit to me, uh, you're supposed to be looking at verse 25 where it says, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church. God says, it's not your business to make your wife do what you think she should be doing. You need to focus on yourselves. And ladies, just as we saw there in 1 Peter, God says the same thing. He says, even if your husband is being disobedient to the word, you need to focus on your behavior. And you may be able to win your husband even without a word. You see, what God says is it's not about meeting in the middle. It's about both of us doing what we need to and getting to where God wants. And as we do that, you know what? We meet at the pinnacle at the top. 
Instead of this game of the world, it's back and forth and who's ahead and who owes what. It's both of you do what you need to do and you will end up with what you want. And even if you say, well, what if my spouse never gets to where they're supposed to be? Guess what? You've gotten to where God wants you to be. And that will change you. Uh, Instead of nagging your spouse, you'll be praying for your spouse. You'll be saying, God, would you help my husband or my wife to be the man or woman they need to be? Instead of going after them and saying, you need to be doing this. As, As we look at God's design here, This is what God wants for us. And so we have to ask ourselves, as men, are we uh, giving that all-giving, self-sacrificing love? I think that men have the harder job in this relationship. Because you are to love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave everything. He died for her. Men, do you have that all-giving, self-sacrificing love for your spouse? Now, as we think in terms of this, same thing with the ladies, I want you to remember that as we looked at Ephesians 5.22, it said you are doing this as to the Lord. Do you see that in the passage? This isn't for your husband. This is for you and your relationship with God. What submission is, especially for men, is we are simply the secondary beneficiaries of our wives' obedience to the Lord. There's a woman by the name of Barbara Peel who talked about her coming to understand what this was about, and it changed her. She said, I realize my submission to my husband is not my gift to him to be received gratefully on his part, nor is it to be a subtle form of blackmail where I say, see, Lord, how submissive I was. Now, if you want this to continue, then let's see some results. She concludes by saying, if I were submitting to my husband as unto the Lord, I wouldn't care what the results were. That's God's business. And you see, that's what the passage is telling us. This is God's business. When we're talking about submission this morning, it's a little bit like talking about catching a cold. Ultimately, you can't do anything to keep yourself from catching a cold, right? Now, you can do things that will help you not catch a cold. You can get a shot. You can wash your hands. You can stay away from sick people. You can do lots of things that will will raise the possibility that you stay healthy. It's the same thing with submission. You can't ultimately force anybody uh, as a husband to submit or a wife as a husband to do what he needs to be doing. But we can raise the possibility as we do the things that God is talking about. I read about a a woman who was in a doctor's office. And she had a a little boy with her son, and they were waiting to see the doctor. And it was one of those where the appointment time passed, and, and the mother had run out of all the tricks. The Cheerios were gone. She didn't have any more games. The, the kid was jumping up and down and laying around and crying and throwing magazines, and the mother kept getting up and disciplining the boy and sit down and be quiet, and I told you one more time. you know. And after about the tenth time, he had danced on her last nerve. And so she came over, she grabbed him, looked him in the eye, and said, you better sit down and be quiet, and you're going to listen to me. And she turned around, and she was walking back across the room to sit down. The little boy looked at her and said, I won't, and you can't make me. Yeah, some of you are thinking wrong words. And... Uh, This woman looked like she had been shot out of a cannon. She turned around. She came that boy. She grabbed him. She spanked him. And, you know, she sits him down and says, now you better obey me. And as she's walking back, she sits down and looks at her son. And this little boy sitting there, bottom lip quivering, tears running down his eyes, face. He's got his arms crossed in defiance. And he says to her, I may be sitting down on the outside, 
but I'm standing up on the inside. And you know, there are some men here this morning that say, well, preacher, I've got this under control. My wife is submissive. And your wife maybe looks a little bit like that little boy. She's sitting down on the outside, but she's standing up on the inside. I mean, that isn't biblical submission. That's a bitter wife. And something even worse than a bitter wife is a broken wife. I see couples where the woman's spirit has been broken. She's an empty shell. She's timid. Her head is hung low. She has no uh, understanding of her self-worth and her, her image bearer as a, as a bearer of the image of the Lord. That isn't what God wants us to do. If, if you're the type of man that is treating your wife like that, you're, you're misusing the Bible and you're misusing your mate. That isn't what God says we're to do. When you look at verse 21 here, it says we are to submit to one another in the fear of Christ. The word fear here doesn't mean to be afraid of you. It has a literal meaning of reverence or respect. This isn't about having a wife that is afraid of you. If you want to rule your home, then do it as Christ the King did, as a servant leader who sacrificed and gave himself up for the church. God calls on us to be those who are not a a tight-fisted dictator demanding our rights. He calls on us to be a model of Christ who loves our our wife sacrificially. There was a man who walked into a store, a bookstore, and there was a young woman behind the counter, and he walked up to the sales counter, and he said, I'm looking for the book, Man, the Master of Women. This young lady just kind of gave him a sideways glance and very dryly responded, the fiction section's in the back of the store. (laughs) Men, even if you could master your wife, again, that's not God's design. The Greek verb that's used here is in the middle voice. Now, what does the middle voice mean? It simply means that the subject, which is the wife, is to act upon herself. Do you see that? The wife is the one who is to act upon herself. Verse 22 said her submission is for the Lord. It's an action done by her, not to her. Again, it's not our job as men to to make our wives submit. Uh, The Greek verb that is used here is hupotasso. It's a compound word. Hupo is the prefix, which means to place under, to subordinate. And then tasso means to appoint, order, or arrange. This was actually a military word. Any of you who have served in the military understand what hupotasso is. Because it means to fall in rank under the authority of a commander. To fall in rank under the authority of a commander. You see, biblical submission, God's design for the home, when we get to Ephesians 6, it's going to talk about children obey your parents. Now, that's not this word hupatasso, it's hupakao. That's a different word that means to obey. And we'll talk about that when we get there. But the, the picture of the home is like a, a military chain of command. The kids are the enlisted troops. And, and the wife is colonel mom and the dad is general dad. And right now some of you are saying, who made him the general? Why can't I be the two-star? We'll get to that in just a moment. But as you think of a military chain of command, who is at the top? Anybody? Is there a commander-in-chief? Yeah. 
And in the home and in the church and in life, there is a commander-in-chief called Jesus Christ. And when we talk about the husband being the head of the home, there is a commander-in-chief called Jesus Christ who is the head of the home, the ultimate head of the home. And so what that means is as we obey, submit, do all these things, whether it's children to parents or, or spouses to each other, we're all ultimately under the authority and submitting to God. So as we look in terms of what's happening here, this chain of command doesn't stop with the husband. It stops with God as the commander-in-chief. There's a woman by the name of uh, Rhonda Money, and she was, she was listening to a conversation in the living room. She said, my husband and my little preschooler, Crystal, were on the couch, and they were having this little daddy-daughter talk, and, and she was listening in, and she was smiling at the conversation because uh, the little girl sweetly said, uh, Daddy, you're the boss of the house, right? And the husband said, yes, honey, I'm, I'm, I'm the boss. And the woman said, my daughter quickly burst his, his bubble and mine when she said, that's because mommy put you in charge, huh, daddy? <laughs> Ladies, I want to remind you that your husband is not the head of the home because you're letting him be in charge. He's the head of the home because God placed him in charge. Now, to understand that, I want you to turn all the way back to the first book in the Bible, Genesis. Go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Because the answer as to why the man is the head of the home goes all the way back to the beginning, the very beginning. Because in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them, notice that's plural, let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps in the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So when we go all the way back to the beginning, God's design, you see that there was perfection. There was joint dominion, male and female, both created in the image of God. Now, as God is creating the world and all that's in it, look at Genesis 2.18. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man, male only here, the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now, this is another one of those words. It's like fingernails across the chalkboard for some women. They hear that you're the helper of the husband. And you go, I don't like that word. And again, the problem is we've let society define it rather than looking at how God designed it. Would it change your perspective of that word if I were to tell you that this word is used of God himself? It's the Hebrew word azar. And it's found in Psalm 30.10 and in Psalm 54.4 where God says that he is the helper. Nobody here would say God is a second-class citizen, subservient, or a doormat to man, would we? And when the woman is called the helper, it doesn't mean she's second class or a doormat to her husband. The word helper means that which brings one to fulfillment. That which brings one to fulfillment. It speaks of a completer or a complement, not a competitor. You're not in competition in the home. Now, men, what that simply means is we lack something, doesn't it? Why would God say we are not complete without a wife if that's God's design? Michael did a great message talking about the gift of singleness earlier. Not everybody is called into a marriage relationship. 
But as we think in terms of the home, uh, what it means, men, is we lack something. And God recognizes that. And he's given us a wife, a gift to help us. Now, the problem is we're talking about God's design in perfection, right, in Genesis 1 and 2. But when we get to Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the world and there's a fall. This is where uh, sin entered the world. It started when Satan tempted the woman. She disobeyed God and ate of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the husband disobeyed as well and ate from this tree. And because of that, look at Genesis 3.16. As sin came into the world, consequences came. Genesis 3.16 says, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, people read that, and they misunderstand that passage, and they say, well, the wife is going to bear children in pain, and so God had to override that, that future pain by giving some pleasure or a desire. And so there's, they think in terms of this word desire meaning some kind of fulfillment. But this word desire actually means to rule or control. It says, your desire shall be to rule your husband. It's not talking about a sexual desire. The same Hebrew word is used in Genesis 4-7, where Cain was contemplating killing his brother Abel. And there it says, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. You see, this word means to rule or control. And there was perfection. There was co-dominion. Male and female created in the image of God. There was no sin going on. But as soon as sin corrupted the world and everything in it, the woman decided she wanted to rule over the husband. And God stressed the biblical headship of the man as a result. God's design was corrupted. Now, we live in a broken world today. Sin is in the world. We have a sin nature. So we have a choice in our homes, men and women. We can say we're going to live in this broken world where we're fighting each other, who's on top, who's in control, who's the head. Or we can go back to God's design. You see, God gave us a solution in Ephesians chapter 2. If you were here when we looked at Ephesians 2, we saw that there was this world broken by sin. We, we took a tour of the temple. You'll remember there was something called the balustrade, the dividing wall that separated Jew from Gentile. There were walls that separated male from female. There was the, the veil and the holy of holies that separated man from God because of our sin. And we saw that when Christ came into the world, he abolished the enmity. He removed the barriers. The temple was torn in two as Jesus died on the cross saying, I've paid the penalty of sin in full. The barrier is removed. It said God has brought the Jew and Gentile together, male and female together. He's created this new entity called the church. And what God says is we have a choice this morning. Do we want to live under the old broken system of Genesis 3 where we're fighting each other? Or do we want to live under the restored design of God where Jesus Christ came to provide the bridge and remove the barrier of us from God and us from one another? And if we come to Christ, if we yield ourselves to him, our home can be that relationship as men and women are moving to the pinnacle rather than fighting for control according to the world's way. This is what God is talking to us today. Now, as we follow God's system of submission, it gives us a clear way to resolve the issues through a chain of command. Anybody who's in the military knows uh, as an order comes from above, you salute and do it. Now, if it's an unlawful order, you don't fulfill it, do you? And so this doesn't mean a husband has a blank check in the home. 
Wives, if you have a husband who's telling you to do something illegal or against God's design, it doesn't mean you say, okay, you're the head of the home because there's a commander-in-chief above. And so we are to follow God's word, which would overrule the husband's word. Now, this is why one of the reasons in 2 Corinthians 6.14 we're told as believers not to be unequally yoked. In that passage, it says a believer is not to be married to an unbeliever. And you know, one of the reasons for that is there's a lot of heartache that comes when you're working off two different systems. If you're a man or a woman who's a Christian and you say, I'm following God's word and his design, and you have a non-believing spouse who says, well, I'm doing things the world's way, you're going to have a clash in the home. And so what God says is, I've given you a design, and it's for your protection, for your good. One of the reasons that that God has given this to us is we look all the way back in Genesis chapter 2. Again, when we look at God's design for the home, it says in Genesis 2.24 that when a man and a woman are married, they become one flesh. And so what that means is, men, if you're somebody who's abusive to your wife in words or deeds, uh, you're really hurting yourself. Because it's your flesh and vice versa. Wives, if you're fighting your husband for control, you're, you're really creating chaos in, in, in your own world as well. And so what God calls us to do is he says as we treat one another, we, we treat ourselves. Our model again is Christ who sacrificed himself for the church. Now again, within the context of the home, there is a, there is a, a leader God says in 1 Timothy 3, 4 through 5, the husband is to manage his home well. That word literally means to preside over, to rule the home. Now, we've already covered extensively. That doesn't mean you're a dictator, men. A manager, by definition, is a, is a person who sees the gifts and abilities of others and leverages them for the good of the organization. And as a husband, you should notice and see, uh, first, as we've already talked about, the wife is a gift to you, to complete you. She has gifts and abilities, things she brings to the table you lack. And if you're, if you're a bad manager and you're pushing that aside and saying, I'm, I'm my way or the highway, you're, you're not managing your home well. Now, um, in terms of my marriage, my, my wife and I uh, try to operate under God's design. We're not perfect. We're, we're sinful and fallen people, so there are times we go off the rails. But in my marriage, I, I, I don't make decisions unilaterally. I don't say, well, I've decided and this is what we're doing. Uh, if, if that's the way you operate, you're missing out on the wisdom of the person God has given to you. I have a, a, a wonderful wife of 29 years in July, and she is a high-capacity, wonderful woman. And there has never been in 29 years where I've, obey me, woman. I can only say that because I'm in public, right? I'm safe right now. We don't, we don't live like that. Our home would be miserable if that's how our marriage operated. What God does is he says, Roger, you've, you have a gift here. And before you make a decision that affects her, we're one flesh. Before you make a decision that affects our children, uh, everybody, I need to consult I need to talk to her. I need to get her wisdom. Now, am I telling you that uh, as we sit down that there's never been a time in almost 30 years where we've disagreed on something? No, we've had those times. But what I find is when we sit down and we talk, there, there are times that I'm swayed to her side or vice versa. We go through, why are you thinking that way? What's your, your reasons? What are, and, and at the end of the day, we say, I see your point of view over mine. 
Now, in the rare instance where we've come to a point where we both say, well, I still think my way is the best, my wife will yield to me and say, you're the leader, I'm going to let you make the decision. I've never taken that as a baseball bat and abused it. Because again, my wife says, I know you've listened to me. I know you've counseled with me. You've consulted me. You have our best interest because whatever you do affects yourself as well. Uh, What's the old saying? Um, Unhappy wife, unhappy life. You know, if, if you look in terms of the relationship in the home, there are times she said, I trust you to make the right decision. And some of that comes from years and years of good decisions. And you may be sitting here saying, well, Roger, I have a husband I can't trust. He wants to go spend the mortgage money on a, on a dumb idea, or he's, he's made bad decisions over time. I'm not telling you to pull back and, and let him run your family off a cliff. But I am saying that at times you need to step in and say, honey, uh, let's seek some godly counsel outside, or let's talk this through. And, and, and one of the ways that people learn to make good decisions is through bad decisions. Don't, don't let it be a catastrophic thing. But sometimes your husband needs to just hear from you, I believe in you. I'm your cheerleader. I'm with you. I don't know that this is the best decision, but I'll walk with you in this. And again, if it's a catastrophic decision coming, please bring in outside counsel. There's, there's a saying in the, the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, that says the husband is the head of the home, Right? but the wife is the neck that turns the head. And the problem is there are some women who say openly, well, you're the head, but you're saying, I'm really in control. And your husband knows that, and your kids see that, and others, and you're fighting for control in the home, and you wonder why you don't have the home that God has designed. And what God's saying this morning is some of us have to yield control. The battle we're fighting, friends, is not with your spouse. It's with Satan. He's the enemy who wanted to destroy God's perfect creation. He's the one who went after the home, which was God's design. And we've got to step back and say, we're going to let God's design be the one that that drives the decisions in our home. So if you've been fighting your husband for control, ladies, then step back. Pray. God, would you give my husband wisdom? Would you help him to be a man who who leads sacrificially? Men, you need to be one who humbles yourself and says, I'm going to be as Christ did for the church. I'm going to put my family first, not my selfish desires, uh, ahead of everything. And ladies, as you do this, it doesn't mean you become a second-class citizen. It doesn't mean you're a mindless slave. What it means is biblical submission doesn't take away freedom. It actually gives it. Have you ever seen a train running down railroad tracks? You have two tracks, right? Here's the husband's role, the wife's role. And if you think in terms of your your home and marriage being like the train going down the tracks, some of us are saying, I don't want to run on these rails God has designed. I'm going to go off and have freedom. You ever seen what happens to a train when it goes off the tracks? It doesn't go very far, does it? It can say, well, I'm free. It's not free. It's not running as God designed it. And the problem in some of our homes is that we've tried to go off the rails and we wonder why things have broken down. I want to end with an illustration before we come to communion. Uh, it's, it's about a, a, a train accident that happened in Lyon, Spain. It, it actually happened January 3rd, 1944, in a train tunnel in Lyon, Spain. And in it, over 500 people died. 500 people died because this was one of these long passenger trains and it had an engine at the front and it had an engine at the back. 
As this train was running down uh, the, the tracks, it came to this tunnel. And as it went into the tunnel, the front engine was almost out of the tunnel pulling this long passenger car when the front engine stalled. Now, the, the back engine was also in the tunnel, and because it was this dark, winding little section, the engineers had no way of communicating with each other through light signals, and there was not the modern communication we have today. So the engineer in the back, who was in the, the back train as it stalled in the tunnel, uh, decided to start up the engine and pull the train out of the tunnel. But just about at that moment, the engineer in the front locomotive was able to restart it. And he began to try to pull the, the engine forward. And as both engineers were pulling in two different directions, uh, each one thought, I just need to apply a little more power to move the train. And as they both increased the power and the train was pulling against itself, the tunnel filled with deadly carbon monoxide. And 500 people were killed because the train had one too many engineers. And some of our homes look like this. Some of our homes have one too many engineers. And we've been fighting for control and pulling against each other, and there are casualties with children and marriages and mates. And what God says to us today is he wants us to step aside. He wants us to let Christ be the head of the home. He wants us to follow the design that he's given to us. I want us to go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll come to communion. So will you join me, please, as I pray for our homes and our marriages? Father, we thank you for your word and the design that you've given to us. We thank you for loving us enough to leave your throne in heaven and come to earth and give your life, Christ, so that we could have the gift of eternal life. Lord God, you've given us not just the gift of life, but you say in your word that you've come that we might have life and have it abundantly. And you want us to have homes and, and marriages and lives that are, that are happy here on earth. And Father, part of what comes from that comes from men being the servant leaders that you've called us to be. I pray, Father, for the men to have courage to live as Christ did. Would you help us, Father, help the wives in our, in our church and in our community to yield control and become the cheerleaders and completers rather than the competers with their husbands. Father, would you help the children to follow their parents, to honor their father and mother, as we'll see in the weeks ahead. Lord God, we pray for homes this morning that are hurting. We know that there are marriages in our midst where there's been a battle and things have gone off the rails, and we're sorry, Father, for the pain that we've caused as we've abandoned your design and let our sinful desires take over. We thank you, Lord, that we can come to the communion table now, being reminded of your solution for us in our homes. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us the bridge, the bridge to reconcile us to you and to one another. So we commit our lives and homes to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. As the elements are being passed, you're going to take a piece of bread representing the body of Christ. And you're going to take a cup representing his blood. As you take, I want you to take and hold these elements and just think about what Christ did for us. How he sacrificed himself, how he gave his life to pay the penalty of death for our sins. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're welcome to this table. You don't have to be a member of Wayside. 
If you're one here who's never received Christ and this morning you're ready to yield control, not just of your home, but your personal life, and to turn from your sin and to Jesus to be your Savior, I invite you to take the bread and the cup and say, this morning, Lord, I'm asking you to be the Lord of my life. I accept your death in my place. I thank you for the gift of grace as you died to pay that penalty of death for me. Hold these elements. We'll take them in a moment. Use this time to confess any sins you may have. Talk to the Lord about things in your life that you need to change, whether it's your marriage or some other area. And then thank God for the gift of grace. And we'll take the elements together in a moment. In Ephesians 5.25, we're told, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. The church is called the Bride of Christ. And he, as the bridegroom, loved us sacrificially, willing to go to the cross and pay the penalty of death, willing to do all that was needed to remove that wall of separation between us and God for our sins. And he's given us the way home, not just home to heaven, but he's given us the way our home should look here on earth. And it comes through being men who are willing to love our wives as Christ loved the church the body of Jesus, eat it in remembrance of him. Ephesians 5.26 says, that as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, it was so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. It was the blood of Christ that washed away our sins, that makes us to be declared righteous in the sight of God, that presents us perfect and holy, the blood of Jesus that saved us, drinking in remembrance of him. You join me, please, as we close in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for the gift not only of your word, not only of your son, but Father is men for the gift of wives and women for the gift of husbands and children for the gift of parents who love you. Father, we know that not every home here reflects your design, but we want them to. And we pray, Lord, you would give us the courage to yield to not live according to the broken system of the world where we're keeping score and who's ahead and who owes what. But, Father, that we would live according to your system. One that says in 1 Corinthians 13, love does not take account of a wrong suffered. Father, would we be willing to forgive one another as you've forgiven us? Father, would we be willing to be men and women who yield ourselves in our homes, setting aside our selfish desires for your design? so that we can have the homes you've always wanted us to have. Father, we commit our lives and our time to you. Would you help us to be men and women who love you and love each other sacrificially? Would you help our homes to be lighthouses to the world and community as people see what we have and say, I want that too. We pray these things in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.